Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise that your word does change lives. We pray, Lord, now that you would open your word to us, that you would change us by it, by your word and your Holy Spirit, that we might be more like Jesus today. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, in our series in 1 John, we've seen how John is drawing distinct contrasts, some of which could make us a little uncomfortable. He draws these contrasts not only because they are true, but because of what his audience has gone through. He's helping them to get clarity on their standing with Jesus, making it clear who is in the light and who is not. And he does it because this church has been shaken by schism. They're wounded. And John is writing to encourage them, to show them that even though some have left, this church is still walking in the light. And we want to keep this in mind as we read this epistle, because when John uses such sharp distinctions, it can be a little discouraging for us. We can wonder about where we stand. Are we a part of the church or not? Do we walk in the light or not? And these are okay questions to ask ourselves from time to time, but we want to keep in mind that John is asking them or is addressing them to encourage us. And he addresses them in our passage today, presenting the problem that the church faces and the protection that God provides. So let's open our Bibles or our study books or uh, the uh, bulletin. It has the insert with the scripture on it. We'll dive into the text together. Let's start with the problem that we see in verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. John is making it plain from the beginning that his church is living in the last days. Now, that seems kind of impossible since we are reading this letter 1,900 years, roughly, after it was written. But he's completely right. You see, the last days is a time period that was ushered in when Christ rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. Ever since then, we have been living in the last hours, which will come to an end when Christ returns, as he has promised. So even though we're reading this so much later, we are still in the same time period. Now that's important because Jesus taught his disciples that the last days would be marked by opposition to the truth of the gospel. Matthew 24, 24 states, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. That's exactly what John is dealing with here. And he makes it plain by using a word that could be rather jarring for us to hear. John tells us that Antichrist is coming and that many Antichrists have come. Antichrist is a word that tends to get 
Christians a little worked up. (laughs) And many faithful believers have become near obsessed with trying to work out who exactly the Antichrist is, who might they be. And throughout history, this has been done. This title has been applied to Roman emperors, to popes, even to U.S. presidents, you name it. John's concern, though, is not in identifying Antichrist, but in showing that in his time and in his church, Antichrists, plural, have come. They are not the Antichrist, but they serve the same master. Now, what perhaps should be most shocking for us, though, is where these Antichrists are coming from. If you were to ask Christians these days, what's the biggest challenge for the church? It probably wouldn't take too long before you heard the secular culture. Everybody out there, that's the problem. That's not what's happening here, though. These antichrists that John identifies are not people outside the church. They've come from within. The church is not facing an external struggle. This isn't persecution from the outside world. It's an internal battle. You see, the issue is that not all who claim to be part of the church are actual believers. It's the distinction between what is called the visible church and the invisible church. The visible church is literally the people that you see in a church. The invisible church is those who believe in Jesus, and they may not be the same group of people. Again, this should not actually be shocking for Christians to hear. Jesus taught us this much in the parable of the wheat and the tares. Matthew 13, Jesus teaches that bad seed is sowed among the good and the two grow up together until the time of harvest, until the time of judgment comes. The point is that some who claim to be part of the church are not genuinely of the church. John Calvin says, They have never been thoroughly imbued with the knowledge of Christ, but only a slight and passing taste of it. Or as we've said in the past couple weeks, they know about God, but they don't know God. Their lack of genuine faith has been made plain because they left the church. Verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Now, if we're actually able to read that, (laughs) it could make us a little uncomfortable. Does it mean that anyone who leaves a church is not a genuine believer? No. This is not someone who changes denominations or goes to a different church because they got married or something like that. Drawing that conclusion would be reading an issue from our day into the text. John wasn't addressing that problem. They didn't have that problem. They didn't have denominations then, would that it was so today. 
These antichrists did not simply leave the local church. That's not the problem. They left the faith. Verse 22, John shows us that these folks can rightly be called antichrist because of what it is they've been teaching. We read, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the antichrist. He who denies the father and the son. They have been tearing up the basic foundational beliefs of the Christian faith. At its most basic, Christianity is the belief that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ who died for the sins of the world. And that is what they are disputing. Antichrist is a shocking label for us to hear because of all that we associate with it. But it's actually a logical title for them. They're denying that Jesus is the Christ, and so they are anti. They are in opposition to Jesus, to the Christ. Previously, we saw that they were diminishing who Jesus is by claiming that he wasn't human as well as God. Now they present a false gospel by saying that Jesus is not the Christ. They have followed a false religion of their own making and have revealed themselves to have never truly believed in God. It's not just an ancient problem. We have all sorts of modern equivalents. We spoke a few weeks ago about those that claim that Jesus wasn't God, but was just a good moral teacher. There are some who claim that Jesus actually never existed. But he was a fabrication for those who wanted to seize power. There are those that claim that Jesus is a way to get to God, but... There's many equally valid paths to get to God. Or those that claim that Jesus never physically rose from the grave. These are all modern day heresies that diminish Jesus' identity. And to believe them is to oppose Christ and to put oneself outside of the Christian faith. John Stott puts it rather plainly for us. If he is a Unitarian or a member of a sect denying the deity of Jesus, he is not a Christian. It really is that simple. It was a problem in John's day, and it is in ours. Folks who claim to be part of the church, yet they have never believed rightly about Christ. The result is that they miss out on the promise that Christ makes to us. Verse 25, and this is the promise he made to us, eternal life. That is what is at stake here. It's why John is at pains to remind the church that those who genuinely believe in Christ remain with Christ until the end. They persevere in the faith until Christ returns or calls them home to eternal life. It's the doctrine known, you may have heard of it, as the perseverance of the saints. It's why we need to get clarity on the gospel. It's why we are spending time in this summer in 1 John, so that we can all get clarity on who Jesus is and where we stand with him. Because what John is teaching here is some who show up to the church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday don't believe in Jesus. 
They don't believe that he is the unique son of God, that he is the Christ who died for our sins and rose again. And in not believing rightly about Jesus, they risk everything. But to confess Jesus, confessing Jesus means that we have the Son and the Father, John tells us. And in having genuine faith in Jesus, we can have the assurance that he will never let us go. There are many scriptures that we could point to to show this. Philippians 1.6 is just one of those. It says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Those that believe in Jesus remain with Jesus because he holds us fast. That is the assurance we can have, but we need to have clarity and really ask, who do I say that Jesus is? It's the question that Jesus himself asked to Peter. Who do you say that I am? Every one of us has to answer that question at some point in our lives. And it is the most important question we will ever answer. So since I've just said that John teaches us that there are some in the church that don't actually believe in Jesus, that aren't genuine believers, should we then be sitting around looking at one another nervously? <laughs> looking at one another and thinking, yeah, that guy's in her... I don't know about that. I'm not so sure about her. No, that is not what John wants for us. John is showing us that genuine believers in Jesus need to cling to two things that strengthen our faith and help us to walk in the light. The first is true teaching. Verse 24 John encourages the faithful, let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. Now, there's a countercultural statement, isn't it? What you heard from the beginning. People for as long as I can remember, and as, I think as long as really has been recorded, tend to chase after the newest thing. And our religious lives aren't immune to that. You walk into any bookstore, look online, and it's going to be the newest self-help book that's at the top of the charts for bestsellers in the religion category. Even though they're often just retreads of previously failed ideas. It looks new and exciting. But John reminds his flock that if we are to remain in the light of Christ, it is not what is new that will help us, but that which is old, that which we have heard from the beginning. Once again, John Stott is helpful to us here. His purpose in writing, he says, is not to inform them of new truth, but to confirm them in the truth they already know, that it is wholly true and self-consistent. You may have noticed that John's epistle is a little repetitive. He says the same thing over and over and over again, and there's a reason for it. And it's this. So that what we have heard from the beginning would abide in us. He just keeps saying it using slightly different words over and over again. 
that which you heard from the beginning. Put it another way, the gospel never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the author of Hebrews tells us. The same truth we heard from the beginning, that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life, to die the atoning death for our sin, and to rise again, trampling hell and Satan under his feet. That truth is just as true today as it was the day we first heard it, as the day it first happened, and it will be true for all time. It does not change. It is not what is new that we need, but what we have heard from the beginning. We are to remain in the truth of Jesus Christ so that we will not be led astray by those who claim to have the newest and best teaching. Instead, we are to abide, remain. That's what abide means, to remain in the truth that Jesus is the only name in heaven and on earth by which people can be saved. We abide in the truth of Jesus through active engagement with the word of God. Abiding in Christ means abiding in his word. The clearest gospel teaching we have is found in the passages of scripture. And so, as faithful believers, we are called to go back to it over and over again. It is the standard by which we judge all teaching. And nothing that is of God will ever contradict what we find in scripture. A robust knowledge and love of God's word helps us, to def- helps us to be defended from the false teachings that we so often hear. And so it is critical for believers to spend time in the word. If we don't, we open ourselves up to be vulnerable to all kinds of bad teaching. Let me give you one example. I give it because it's a fairly popular one. I think most of us have probably heard the saying, God will never give you more than you can handle. Right? A lot of us have heard that one. It sounds wonderful. That sounds great to me. The problem is, it's not biblical at all. There is nothing biblically true about that statement. Well, that's not true. It has the word God in it. We'll we'll give it that. It sounds nice. It's just not biblical. If God never gave us more than we could handle, what would we need him for? Right? We'd be fine on our own. It's a cultural proverb, right? And it's not at all in line with the plain teaching of Scripture. Scripture tells us that God will never give us more than he can handle. There's a big difference between those two statements. One word changes. Hugely different meaning. We won't know that, though, if we are not actively engaged with the word of God. Things that sound like the gospel will drag us away from the genuine gospel. That's the most terrifying part about heresy. It sounds this close to the truth. That's why so many people get pulled away by it. Why it's so hard to convince someone who's been convinced by it. Now I know that many are intimidated by Bible study. We've never done it, or we think we don't know enough, or we're really unsure of where to begin. Completely understand all of that. That's why we made the study booklets we did for this sermon series. And while we'll keep doing them, for Lord willing, every sermon series we preach here. 
It's got the text right there for you, questions that you can engage with. Another way to start is by reading a psalm a day, and then write down everything you learn about God in it. Some commit to reading five verses a day, and then the next day another five, and then five after that. Right? A great practice is to memorize scripture. Right? There's apps on your phone if you're a tech person that'll help you do that. If you're a low-tech sort of person, get a cue card, write the verse on one side and the reference on the other. I personally love to praise scripture, saying God's word back to him. Right? The point here is there's endless ways to start. Those of you who got the new prayer book, there's a lectionary in it. It's got a list of readings. Use that. The point is just pick one. Just start. There's endless ways to do it. And here's the thing. Don't get discouraged when you fall behind. Don't get discouraged if you forget one day. I have failed at more Bible reading plans than I can remember. Countless of them. Just keep coming back. Even if it's five minutes a day, just keep coming back. And pray that God would give you a desire to be in his word. An unquenchable thirst for his word. God loves his people to be in his word because as we abide in God's word, it begins to shape our thoughts, our actions, even our own words. By it, we can tell the difference between what is genuine gospel and what is false teaching. And over time, we are molded by what we have heard from the beginning. That's the first protection we have as followers of Jesus, the truth of the gospel in God's word. The second one works hand in hand with it. It's the anointing of God's Holy Spirit. Verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. Important to note here that you is plural. John is saying, you all, every one of you, have been anointed. Every believer in Christ, we all, if we have submitted to the call of Christ on our lives, been given the Holy Spirit. He is not the gift to a select few, but the birthright of every child of God. All believers in Christ. That's important to keep in mind because what's one of the main works of the Spirit? Well, John 16 says, The Spirit is given to lead us into all truth. He is given to illuminate our hearts and minds to the things of God. John makes this clear in verse 27 of our reading. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. Now, does that mean that literally we never need a teacher? No. All right. If it did, John would not be writing this epistle. He's been doing a lot of teaching in it. There would be no spiritual gift of teaching if we didn't need teachers. The point that John is making is that the Holy Spirit is the one who makes Scripture clear to us, who convicts us of sin in our lives and teaches us to walk in the light. We can have the best teachers in the world, but it is only the Holy Spirit who does that. He might use human teachers to do it. But orthodox teaching finds its beginning with the Holy Spirit. 
And what does the Spirit teach? Verse 27. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Abide in Jesus. Remain with him. We do that by abiding in what we heard from the beginning. I said these two things go together. The Spirit of God and the Word of God work hand in hand to help the people of God live for God. These two things are given to us for our benefit, for our protection. Together, God's Spirit and God's Word grow us and keep us in the light, and we need to keep them together. When we approach Scripture or times of worship, pray that God the Holy Spirit would make the scriptures come to life and show you how they apply to your life. Ask him to reveal Jesus to you and help you to worship him genuinely, not just mouthing the words and going along with the liturgy. We have this sad tendency to elevate either the scriptures or the spirit above the other, yet both are of God. One is God himself and the other is his very word to us. One more quote from John Stott. I told you at the beginning of the series you're going to hear a lot from John Stott, so I had to make sure we get a lot in here. I want to keep my promise. He writes this. Some honor the word and neglect the spirit, who alone can interpret it. Others honor the spirit but neglect the word out of which he teaches. The only safeguard against lies is to have abiding within us both the word that we have heard from the beginning and the anointing that we have received from him. It is by these old possessions, not by new teachings or teachers, that we shall abide in the truth. The true church of Christ is the church that abides in Jesus. It is my prayer that we here at St. Aidan's would be a people of the word and of the Spirit. That we would cling to Christ with all that we are because without Him, we are no church at all. May what we have heard from the beginning abide in us and may we forever be faithful to proclaim the full gospel, the full word of God, knowing just how high the stakes are for us and for everyone out there who has never received Christ who's never heard his name before or who has previously rejected him. The stakes couldn't be any higher. That by his word and spirit, God would make us a people here who remain faithful to him, persevering to the end with the hope and assurance that only he can give of the gift of eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that in you life is found, eternal life is found, genuine life is found. And we pray, Lord, that you would open all of our hearts to receive that life. That maybe for some of us that have never submitted to the call that you have placed on us, you would bring us to that place now. That we would call on the name of Jesus, submitting to him as our Savior, our Lord and Master. And that you would grow us in the days and the weeks ahead to abide in what we have heard from the beginning, that it is Jesus who saves and Jesus who causes us to love you and love others. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.